everybody. Um, Flint, I think you have a bell there. Do you want to time the meditation? Because I don't have a bell here where I am right now. Let's, um, let's start with a little sitting, our usual uh, sitting, and then we'll finish with our chant, our rope chant. About how long would you like to go? Um, I think you usually do about um, 10 minutes, right? Or 15 minutes? At 10, usually something like that would be good. Sounds good.
vast as the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. I'm just straightening up my screen a little bit here so I can see a little better. <clears throat> so welcome everybody. I'm delighted to join you from Wilmette, Illinois, where the trees are just beginning to flame into gold and crimson. Some of them are still a little confused. But I'm so happy we're able to come together sharing Flint's path to Dharma transmission. In this series of inquiries, Flint has shared the stories of his own teachers, offered his wisdom and reflections on this path, and invited each of our entrusted teachers, Joel, Lori, Todd, Josh, and Suzanne, <clears throat> here to lead the inquiry so that you can each get a sense of the flavor of their teaching. In this way, you can see the unbroken line of teachings embodied in our ordinary, extraordinary teachers, extending from past to future. Last week, Flint spoke about the great circle of the way, quoting Dogen. On the great road of Buddha ancestors, there is always unsurpassable practice, continuous and sustained. It forms the circle of the way and is never cut off. Between aspiration, practice, enlightenment, and nirvana, there is not a moment's gap. Continuous practice is the circle of the way. And in the precept ceremony, we affirm, you have returned to your original nature, free from attachments and limited ways. From now, awakening is your teacher. All beings are your teacher. Do not be fooled by other ways. This is the path of mercy for all existence. So in the Zen tradition, it is true that we recognize all experience as the precise, intimate teachings of this vast, compassionate, creative intelligence of the universe. Awakening to this reality is the heart of our practice. However, there are also in each of our lives, true teachers who are not only exemplars of illumination or awakened being, but who have the capacity to transmit that light for others, transforming their lives forever. It is as though they provide the match that ignites the fire deep in our own hearts and minds. Their wisdom and compassion utterly transform us. And in turn, the transformation and illumination of true students sincerely practicing this way creates the teacher just as the lives of children create their parents. Teaching is an art, and in Zen, its medium 
is the space where teachers and students meet, a potent encounter with present moment reality. It is an unusual medium in that both the artist and the canvas come into being together, are mutually transforming and expressing the entire universe. Maybe in this metaphor, the Dharma is the paint. We recognize the quality of the teacher through the lives of the students. In Zen, the blossoming of awareness, of wisdom and compassion, of service. There's a very long list of Zen ancestors, male and female, who have patiently and kindly and fiercely transmitted the light of the Dharma through times of famine, war, civilization collapse, through floods, fire, disease, rise and fall of regimes, through serene times of plenty and times of desperate want, through all the tumultuous circumstances of their lives and the worlds they lived in, they were faithful to these teachings and to their students. We do not remember them for being awakened beings. We remember them for their success in conveying the teaching to their students and keeping the light of the Dharma alive for the future. How do we know they were great teachers? Through their students and the students who followed, accomplishing the astonishing feat of carrying the Dharma not only through time, but throughout space, as these teachings became shared not only in a tiny corner of Northern India, but in every continent in the world to millions and millions of people. I'm in awe of the power of these teachings and the awesome dedication of those who have carried them to us 2,500 years after the Buddha. In the spring, for 21 days, Flint will be honoring those Zen ancestors, men and women, every day, chanting their names and offering incense and vows to each one. In this way, he will be embodying the gratitude and appreciation we share for their gifts. And he will be vividly aware of the powerful responsibility that enrobes us as we take our place in that vast lineage, not only of the ancestors named, but all of those who are unknown, uncelebrated, but who have surely conveyed the Dharma as well. This is not only a great privilege, but a profound expression of our vow. So what about that vow? As Shohaku Okamura writes in Living by Vow, all Mahayana practice is based on the Bodhisattva vow. All Mahayana practice is based on the Bodhisattva vow. The vow has two aspects, becoming a Buddha and helping all beings become a Buddha. These two cannot be separated. We vow to become Buddhas together with all beings. The Bodhisattva vow is an essential point in Mahayana teachings and practice. Or as Lex Hickson put it, poetically in Mother of the Buddhas, Bodhisattvas illuminate for living beings, whatever righteous, dignified, excellent, and wholesome ways of life that can be envisioned and practically manifested in the world. And the awakened ones always joyously teach and indicate with every word and wordless gesture, the absolute inexhaustibility of pure presence. 
Flint and I have been intimately connected in the Dharma since we met, although we did not immediately recognize that on this teaching path, we would be walking together. When I was on the priest path, he guided and supported me through ordination. And as we continued to walk this path side by side, arm in arm, sometimes I guided and supported him as well. We grew in our understanding of what this evolutionary form of Zen was all about. At one point, I said to him, I think we're going to have to grow each other. Of course, we learned from so many others, Dick Schwartz, Cedar Barstow, Peter Hershock, Ron Kurtz, Blanche Hartman, Joko Beck, many, many teachers, so many teachers we encountered in person and in the many, many books we were devouring and sharing. But as we envisioned the teaching we were committed to, the seeds we were planting as Apamata, there were no teachers or scholars we could count on as authorities. There was no template or model for what was beginning to grow here. It was as fresh and new as a tiny seedling, and it was our responsibility to care for it as our own. It was the liberation of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha from the husks of the past. Truly, awakening would have to be our teacher. All beings would have to be our teacher. Fortunately, as my little five-year-old nieces would say, we have each other. Many people in the Zen world, leaders and teachers are eager for Flint to complete the Dharma transmission, which his own teacher, Blanche Hartman, wanted to accomplish, but wasn't able to do before she died. Vicki Austin, soon to be the director of ceremonies at San Francisco Zen Center, has been enthusiastically and generously helping us prepare. <clears throat> For myself, there's such delight and satisfaction in moving toward the realization of what has long seemed to me an injustice, an oversight, a hole in the universe. Here we will affirm the great cosmic unfolding of the Dharma through my dear teaching partner and constant inspiration. We have sat zazen together countless hours, created and conducted so many services and ceremonies, led intensives, taught classes, met you in inquiry, met with councils and the board to shape the evolution of Apamata, talked endlessly about the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, shared books, trainings, wisdom, and insights. We have puzzled together for hours and hours about our students and how best to support them about the community and how best to cultivate it. We've met challenges, troubles, and even political upheaval and pandemic together in service to the Sangha. We are in constant communication about this unfolding miracle that is Apamata. For over 25 years, we have watched in wonder and delight as you have joined us in this joyful work of building a contemporary Sangha based on mindful, energetic care, Apamata. Here the circle will complete itself, from Flint ordaining me as a priest so many years ago to my conveying Dharma transmission to him. Giver, receiver, and gift are empty. So too are teacher, student, and teachings. But that does not mean they are non-existent. What is transmitted? When I asked Roko Osho this question, she grew very still and then fiercely breathed one word, Nothing. I would ask it again this way. 
the only thing that can be transmitted, the light that is in the Dharma, how is it conveyed? Simply a glance, a twinkle in the eye, a bow, the glowing tip of a stick of incense, a purple blossom, a candle on an ancient altar, a smile on a mountaintop so long ago. We are drawn into this life by the life force of compassion, hearing the cries of the world and taking the mantle of another life of suffering and struggle and wonder and joy. So from the unborn, some impulse must arise, not merely the biological imperative of sperm meeting egg, but the willingness to come into being, to face life's hazards, disappointments, injuries, catastrophes, slights, and all forms of struggle, trouble, and distress. That impulse has a name, and its name is vow. In all the vast, pitiless, loving universe, this infant cry and will to life ignites a spark. With care, it becomes a flickering flame, a fire, a blaze. All is burning, the Buddha taught. Fire is not good or bad. It is not evil nor divine. It is pure energy when it has fuel and air. And when the fuel or air are spent, it expires. Surely that energy has power in the human realm. It can dispel the darkness, warm a cold room, cheer the gloom. And from the human perspective, it can destroy forests, houses, cities, bodies. There is no repentance and no need of it. All energy, every living being is combustion and everything is combustible. We are the fuel for the fire of life, blazing into being, burning feverishly until our fuel is spent and we transform from flame to ash. But not yet. There is still that unquiet impulse, our vow, our arising and becoming. What is that about, that impulse, that vow? Certainly it is not about finding meaning or purpose in life. That is what you are bringing into this incarnation. It is your vow, your fire, your aspiration that illuminates your life with its brilliant light. Maybe though, you've been confused by a cloud of mistaken beliefs and distorted stories of the world, other beings and your own life. Maybe you doubt yourself or have lost sight of that fire in you. The world seems like a dark and fearsome place in which you are alone and in secret despair where once the future lay ahead, bright and beckoning, now you feel as though you've lost something vital, the path, the light, your connection to your own life stream. This celebration of the light and transmission of the Dharma may seem so distant. This may not be your experience, but now that we've been alive a good long while, we feel the weight of the world and its suffering, its conflict, troubles, cruelty, pain, crushing disappointments, more deeply, including our own. In an ancient koan, as Joan Halifax has told it, Weishan is sitting alone in the zendo late into the night. When his teacher Baijong saw him and demanded, who is sitting there in the dark? Weishan said, it's me, master, it's Weishan. 
Baijiang tells Guishan to rake up the hearth and stir up the coals. Guishan arose, stepped to the hearth, and searched for live coals, but found none. The fire has gone out, said Guishan. Baijiang took up the tongs and plunged them deep in ashes, found a small live ember. Holding it up, he asks, what's this? At this, Guishan was awakened. So everyone knows this koan. But we struggle, like Guishan, to find that glowing ember among the ashes of our own failings and stupid mistakes. The good news is that as long as you are alive, that ember is there. With care, with fuel and air, it can burn brightly once more. What is the fuel? What is needed is connection, contact with anything combustible that is nearby, good spiritual friends, profound teachings of the Buddha, good teachers, ceremonies and celebrations, all waiting in the warm hearth of the Sangha. What is the air that fuels the fire? The fresh, cool, spacious breath of Zazen, the open, sky-like mind of infinite light and boundless space-time, the warm breeze of compassion. Under these conditions, a blazing fire can fill the hearth, fill the world with the awesome light of our life, our vow, and warm our hearts as we sit together. Since we are forgetful beings who often lose sight of our quiet magnificence, we need to come together to remind ourselves and others who and what we really are. Don't demean your life. Don't dismiss it. We have this one life to fully and completely express our light in the world. With that life, with our Sangha, we must inquire, what are we learning? What are we teaching the world? What is our continuous practice? How are we held by that embrace with an embrace with an embrace? in the circle of the way. We are waking up and growing up together, as Flint said last week, and on many other occasions. There's no time to waste, so let's help each other as best we can. If any of this has ignited a spark in you, a question, a reflection, please come forward. As we say in the head student ceremony, let us bring forth the Dharma together. Hi, buddy. Hey, you asked me to ring the bell, so I'm ringing it in this way. Uh, first, I just want to uh, appreciate having gone through uh, this series and listened to everyone and uh, been inspired by them. It's, it's very, very interesting to hear what, what I hope to convey through your eyes and in your voice. And it's very, very touching to me um, uh, to hear it reflected back so intimately. And these things that we've uh, worked so diligently on and, and struggled with and wrangled with. And <laughs> so um, um, because we're on Zoom, it's a little difficult. My, my appropriate response to what you've just offered really is to a number of bows which you wouldn't be able to see because I'd be on the floor. You know? mm -hmm. So I just wanted to raise my hand uh, right here in the beginning as I raised the, uh, the small bell to ring it, um, uh, to resonate back to you this kind of loving care that we've shared all this time. So thank you very much. Mm -hmm. We'll go forward and see, see how this all goes. That's right. 
like, <laughs> like we have every day of every moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was about when you were talking about the Bodhisattva vow, um, and you become a one becomes a Buddha, and then one also uh, brings all beings into becoming Buddhas. So does that mean um, a person becomes enlightened first, and then goes and um, tries to help other beings become enlightened, or does it happen at the same time? It's not sequential. It's the Buddha. When the Buddha awakened, that's what he said, right? I, together with all beings, awaken. Right? It's, and it's because from the eye of awakening, there is nothing but awakening. So all the beings who are struggling or caught in their delusions and their conditioning, they're nevertheless awakened beings who are ensnared in various ways and struggling to find the, the light that's within themselves, really. So this is the untiring um, energy of awakening, unfolding and enfolding itself. So what is a Buddha? Your inquiry, right? What is that? That's a wonderful koan, isn't it? Yeah. What does that so mean? Sorry. What I was going to say. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, so one keeps striving, one keeps practicing the circle of the way. And when one becomes awakened and everything becomes awakened because of the way you see things is changed. So. Well, we um, striving is sort of our MO, but it's only when yeah. we give up the striving that we discover what's already there. It's not something we have to reach or attain. Hmm. The striving kind of gets in the way, even though we need to make a wholehearted effort on the path, right? It's like the story of Ananda and he um, he struggled to get enlightened and he tried really hard and then he just gave up and said, oh, bugger it, I give up. And then he got enlightened. <laughs> Something like that. When he had... It was after the Buddha died. Yeah. He had been with the Buddha all, all through most of the Buddha's life. So, yeah. It was one of the elder disciples who said whatever it was that provoked that opening that realization. So with his prodigious memory, he had memorized all of the Buddha's teachings. And still hearing all of those teachings. Yeah. He was not quite ready. There has to be a bit of striving though, don't there? If you if you didn't strive, you wouldn't nothing would you wouldn't make any progress on the on the path. So, that's, that's a whole way of thinking that we don't actually use in Zen. All right, okay. Striving in progress, right? But I think you can think of it like a peach ripening on the tree. Right. It's not trying to do anything, right? Okay. It's not striving for anything, but it is being ripened. And as we sort of marinate in the Dharma, 
sitting in zazen, studying, working with teachers, we are slowly ripening, not because somebody is doing something to us, but we're just ripening. So there's a point where the peach lets go and falls from the tree. It's free. So what's the tree? Is that the practice? <laughs> the tree is everything you're still attached to. All right. Okay. That's... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Stephanie. Hi, Peg. Oh, good to see you. Oh, it's so good to see you too. Um, I really appreciated your sharing the uh, koan because I, I don't think it's any secret that um, we've been struggling as a sangha here in, in Austin. Um, and I think hearing that koan, it was like something went off in my head. We just haven't delved deep enough for that burning ember that is still there. It is still there. And I think I get caught up, and I can just speak for me, I get caught up in how cold the fire seems, mm. how dead it seems, but it's not. And I just, when you said that, it was like, that's, that's all I need to do is just look for that, that burning ember. It is still there. And, and all of Richie's talks really help too, because as he's trying to figure out what the Buddha is and what the practice is, you know, I keep hearing you say, it's everything, it's everything, it's all of life and you don't have to make it happen. It is just as you practice in your life. And I think, well, here we are. Here we are. Yeah. yeah. yeah so if, I, I, if that fire of Apamata is dead, Flint and I are failures as teachers. Failure. Yeah, yeah. that's not true. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, I, I think, I think um, for me, hearing that koan, this particular interaction is an example of how that is not true. Good. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I just wanted to say thank you. That really helped me a lot. Good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie, and for your, your real dedication to the Sangha. Mm, thank you, Peg. Mm. Have Cassie next. Mm -hmm. Hello, dear Cassie. Hi, Peg. Um, I wanted to start off just with I miss you. Oh, I miss you too. <laughs> um, and I, I just the the phrase unquiet impulse just landed like lightning with me. <laughs> You know, so, whoa, the unquiet impulse. I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and it's, um, I guess I feel like a struggle of that. I feel like I come and go. But I, I actually don't do you, really come and go. Do you think you're the only one? Yeah, well. <laughs> uh, but what I feel like I've heard you saying today is that the coming and going is it. Or that the uh, um, that that the idea of going isn't even going, and that the idea of coming isn't really coming. Um, spoken so like I, a true Zen master. Do what? I said spoken like a true Zen master. <laughs> uh, well, I'll say coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, I just wanted to. Uh, 
like uh, to get you to talk a little bit more on that, or I guess I wanted more, I wanted to feel that deeper. The coming and going? Or, or, or the, one, the, in, the unquiet impulse, that which is like so present and so unnamed. Um, and uh, that, uh, that there's that thing that doesn't ever go away. That's right. You know, it's just like, oh, if this goes away, then you're not alive. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's that uh, constant activity. It's actually the activity of the, that's what uh, the Tibetans or what, yeah, what the Tibetans call the um, creative intelligence of the universe. It just continually, continually unfolding itself, right? It's an unquiet impulse. Otherwise, we'd live on a dead, cold planet. So in our lives, too, it's that unquiet impulse that keeps us aspiring, that keeps our, uh, our vow alive that uh, refuses to allow us to settle into comfort and satisfaction and a kind of torpor, right? Mm -hmm. It's a creative spark. So it so, is a little ember in the midst of the ashes. Um, oh, I had a thought and then it went away. So it must've been a good one. Uh, <laughs> I see other hands raised, so I'm going to bow out. And if I think of it, I'll put it in the chat. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you, Cassie. Good to see you too, Peg. We have Sue next. Okay. Hi, Peg. Thank you for your teaching. Um. Now, particularly when Richie was, was talking and speaking about awakening and then Cassie was talking about the ember, just made me think of all my years of teaching first, first and second graders. Mm -hmm. And people would say, how do you teach kids to read? And I would say, well, I really, I don't. I just present them with opportunities. And there's this, must have been the ember in there. There's all, there was just this desire. Every child wants to learn to read. And, you know, it just happens. A better question is probably, how are we preventing kids from reading? I think that is a better question. <laughs> yes, yes. But you can just, you know, like everything is here for us and all the teachings and the readings and, and then something happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, I don't know how you describe it, but it's quite magical, isn't it? <laughs> Almost. A messy miracle, as we say, right? A messy miracle. Yes, yes. So thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Have Rosemary next. Rosemary. Okay. Hi, Peg. Um, so nice to see you. It's good and to see you. Thanks. Um, 
I wanted to, the, the biggest teaching for me um, in your talk was the relationship with you and Flint. And as you, as you talked about, um, it just, I just felt incredible trust uh, going back and forth between you. And also the, um, you know, the teacher, student, teacher, student in your relationship how that it, it just kept moving from one, like a tag team kind of, yeah. and it, right. And it, it just seemed very circular and it just, for me, it's a great um, model of partnership mm-hmm. that I really appreciate so much. And um, uh, yeah, the trust aspect. And it's, it's just an example of, of connection and trusted connection for, for all of us, for me in particular. But um, so it, that was, something I wanted to say that, that really struck me very deeply. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for that. It's, uh, it's been a profound um, unfolding mystery for me. And uh, from the very first moment when uh, Flint was sort of an authority there at uh, Austin Zen Center, and I expected a lot of severe Zen training, you know, and I had a hard time because it wasn't happening. So I said to him, where are the rotten pickles? Where are the beatings? <laughs> and do you know what he said? You just have to tolerate being loved this much. And that's been the basis of our training. That's our whole curriculum actually. Yeah, and I can understand how that can feel unbearable at times. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You are welcome. I have Sandra next. Hello, Sandra. Hey, Peg. I'm really glad to, to see you. <laughs> it's a treat. Um, and really, it really, when you talk, it was so deep in different levels for me. Um, and I really appreciate that, um, that connection that you say, where well, we're talking about teachers and students, but the fire, mm-hmm. the fire that is something that's touching because I'm just working lately with that, you know, what mm-hmm. is the fire? What is the fire in me? And what is the fire with other people? Uh, and listen to you, and I just see like every moment in every time of life, we are students and we are teachers. Mm-hmm. This comes and goes. And even though with our body. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes. It's my, in my own experience, it's teaching me every time that amazed me. You have this intimate experience with people's bodies Mm -hmm. to bring both the wisdom of Western medicine and the sort of intuitive wisdom of Oriental medicine. Um, So to directly relieve their suffering, that's a quite an intimate connection. Yes. And you know, and now instead of having some health problems I never had is this deep understanding for me that I can now relate it more 
with your patients. Yes, what they are going through, because mm -hmm. I'm living now that, you know, and this is the teaching for me, and a very big teaching and deep teaching, I should say. Yeah. Our own suffering is the teaching and compassion because it, it gives us a window into the experience of others, right? Yes. We yes. can't get any other way. Exactly, yes. So I really appreciate what you, you were saying in your talk because it really landed very deeply. Yeah. <laughs> and I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Serving people. Yeah. Yes, that's my path. <laughs> that's your path, that's right. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Okay, Bridget. Hello, Peg. Oh, good to see you. It's good to see you. I realized that in hearing you speak of your relationship with Flint and the things that I've watched and observed you, you know, challenges and things you faced over these years that I've been coming, I just want to express my gratitude um, and say I genuinely miss seeing you and having a chance to sit across from you. Mm -hmm. I, I was what resonated with me was the phrase you use that children's children create the lives of their parents. Could you expand on that in terms of how it relates to the? the well, I think I think when uh, we imagine being parents or becoming parents, we imagine we're going to be teaching little blank slates, and that we'll be um, forming them in some way but we have absolutely no awareness of how we'll be shaped and formed by our own children. What we'll learn, what we'll practice, um, we're completely in the dark about that until we're actually in the presence of our own children. And from the very beginning, it's completely different from anything we could have expected. So we become parents through the agency of our children. It's really how it happens. You can't be a parent without a child, right? Right, that's true. Yeah, well, that's yeah. so they form us and they form that quality, uh, what the um, Dogen called the, of the three minds, that parental mind, mm -hmm. the mind of care, mm -hmm. the mind of attention, right? The mind of um, expressing your wholehearted devotion And, and that, um, that sense that that in itself deepens those qualities in you. So it's hard to be a bodhisattva unless you can make another person's suffering um, as real as your own. And when you have a child, that's what teaches you that. Right? Yes. I don't think... Um, I don't think before I had a child, I could ever imagine anyone else on the planet as important as I was. My um, self-oriented concerns were paramount, no matter how deeply in love with my husband I was. But once I had a child, it was like this, I would take a bullet for it. This, I would step in front of a car for it. This, you know, this little being, this little life is more important than my life. And my life has value to the extent that it supports and completes this life, this little being. So in that sense, the child creates the parents. 
the student creates the teacher and in our lineage, in many, many cases, our teachers, the ancestors are only known because their students celebrated them and their teachings. We would know nothing about them, but the students secretly wrote down what they were saying. They, um, they passed it around. They um, valorized their teachers. They, they told other people how great they were. Um, and in all of that, um, the teacher in essence came into being. Teacher is just an ordinary person going about their business, right? Um, but without, um, without students manifesting those teachings, you have nothing, you know, any more than if you were a painter and you never made a canvas. Okay. Well, thank you for that reflection. I really appreciate that. And it, especially tying it to the student and teachers. Yeah. Right. Thanks for asking. That's a great question. Well, I'll look forward to, as things unfold for you to share more with us about what will be happening in the spring because I've never participated in or been a part of a Dharma transition ceremony. So I'll be interested to see how that unfolds. Thanks. Absolutely. That's why we wanted to include it uh, as part of this inquiry series, you know, so that people would be with us on this journey. Well, yeah. thank you. <laughs> Take care. You. Hello, Kim. Hello. So what you and Flint have added for me to this uh, Buddhist path is uh, that it's, it's not just a matter of ending suffering. And if, if we did that, we'd get back to some kind of neutral point. But it's the joy that you and I had a little interaction about that yesterday. Mm -hmm. And the joy was so overwhelming in your talk, you know, and, and in your smile. And, you know, I, I keep remembering you by the door smiling as we came in. Um, but it's the joy of the practice that has just been so overwhelming to me and, and it's so often forgotten that uh, the, enth the enthusiasm um, Oh, it's just so important. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Of course, we live in difficult times. So we, we have to recognize the joy in our coming together in this positive way with this positive aspiration for each other, this kindness and compassion It's joyful. Yeah, I mentioned it yesterday as the second vaccine that we need <laughs> you know, to get out of the pandemic is the joy. Yeah, and we need regular booster shots, right? And it's good to remember, you know, as I was telling Kim and in my um, interactions with him, that joy is one of the seven factors of awakening. It's not a product of awakening. It's one of the seven factors that contribute to awakening. So the more we can cultivate joy, and especially our joy in this path and our joy in coming together, um, the closer we are to waking up. And that's uh, contrary to what most of us think that if we wake up, it's going to be really dire. We're trying not to wake up because it's terrifying. Yeah, what we'll find there. Well, thank you, Kim. And thanks for all you are doing, helping the Sangha, supporting the Sangha in so many different ways. It's we great... had all, for the first time today, we had all the roles met in the in the. Wow. We had a Jisha and a monitor and a timekeeper and, of course, a doshi. That's and awesome. That, that was really great. 
Man, that is heartening to hear. I'm so inspired. Thank you. You're back for more, Flint? <laughs> I thought maybe we should wrap it up here. Not stop, I mean, to finish with the yeah, one more story because this because I'm remembering another poignant moment in what you've set up here in terms of our, our time together, uh, which we've told before, but it, it relates to what you were talking about, how we shape and are being shaped and how practice and you remember that that moment was just you and I in the darkness in the Kaisando at Austin's Incident, or you were you happened to be my Jisha, I happened to be the Doshi that day. And you asked me, uh, it was early in our relationship, and you asked me an important question. Do you remember it? How did you and get you to said, be like this? What's that? How did you get to be this way? Yeah. And I said, in a tenderly and with gratitude, uh, because I, I said I felt grateful that I've been loved so much. I felt like I'd had decent. And then you you took it further. Yeah. I said you that said, only gets you halfway. Yeah, that only gets you halfway. So I was grateful for what I'd received and I could bring forward. But then you were saying, uh, and say, say a little bit more as we come toward the end about what does that mean? It only gets you halfway. It only gets you halfway to an answer because there's a reason that you've been loved so much. Well, if I take whatever, and everyone here, we take whatever we have, what's the next step? We've got this, we've been given this life, then what? Yeah, then what? That's the question. That's our, that's our animating question, really. And if we bring... Uh, if we bring something forward that evokes love in others, right? That's what you were able to do even as a child. Well, yeah, that, that may be true. Um, but I think that also just the turning toward, mm -hmm. I think, is what we began to realize and form the center of what Apamata was. Yeah, and that it wasn't, it wasn't about turning towards what's bleak and desperate and horrible, but turning towards that light in each other. Because that's what you were waiting for. Where's the harshness? That's what I was expecting. And I said, no, turn toward the light. Actually, that's where we can. <laughs> Where's the punishment, you know? Like, where are the beatings that will finally get rid of my ego and, you know, help me stand up and fly right? Yeah, and I gave you the bitter pill of kindness. <laughs> Yes, it was very disturbing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I've, I'll always remember that, that moment. It was really uh, uh, illuminating and continues to uh, illuminate through what we've done. And I didn't realize at that moment, way back in our early relationship, that that was going to be a seed for Apamata. It was, though. Yeah. Yeah. That and the whole, um, the whole instruction to learn to tolerate being loved. Yeah. So that's our fundamental instruction to you as you go forth. That's right. Students. <laughs> so we should finish up. We want to finish up. Yeah. I'll have the bell ready and we can lead our chant. Okay. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment... Life as it is, 
the only teacher being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding the self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here. Thank you, Flint, for being such an inspiring partner and teacher and friend and everything else. So, uh, and not just to me, but to so many people. So, here we go. Thank you so much, um, Peg. That was wonderful. Thank you. And um, and if you'd like to. Um, make a contribution to Appamada. Um, Appamada's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity and it really does make a huge difference. So if you'd like to go to the website which I've put in the chat for you, um, then uh, please do. And, and there you'll find an opportunity to contribute towards teachers such as Peg and Flint and Laurie, Todd and Joel. And thank you so much, everybody. For coming today and if you'd like to continue to um, meet and share please do join myself and others in the after inquiry on the virtual porch um, i really look forward to connecting with some of you thank you so much everybody